we in here are also uh, starting a new series, sort of similar uh, to the one that the kids are in. Uh, Between now and uh, Easter, we're going to be in the Gospel of John. Um, You know, I don't know why, but everyone, for a new believer, they always say, oh, you got to read John first. It's great, you know. And I think part of that is because he uses pretty simple language, but John messes with your mind, too. Uh, it's, there's some stuff that, that goes from here to there. To, it's, so we're going to have a good time uh, in the Gospel of John. going to be a little bit different than how we normally uh, take on a, a, a series in a, in a book of the Bible because rather than being just a verse-by-verse going through the whole book, we're going to focus on various conversations that Jesus had with uh, various men and women uh, during his ministry from calling his first disciples to conversations he had after the resurrection before he ascended to heaven. As I was thinking about this, I I decided to focus on conversations that Jesus had uh, because I I was kind of reflecting where we've been in Advent, right? And and we mentioned this uh, a number of times. One One of the famous Advent passages, Christmas passages, is John 1. Um, and it, it just strikes me that from the very, very beginning, uh, um, rather than, than focus on um, uh, genealogy or um, a nativity story, John doesn't do that. John, John starts right out of the gate with telling us that uh, the word, Jesus, was in the beginning with God, and in fact, he was God, and then the Word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. And then he launches in to these words that Jesus exchanges with very people, uh, various people. Um, John tells us in that prologue that some of the people Jesus talked to um, rejected him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But he says, some, some will receive him. And for those who do, they will become children of God. So in this series, we're going to see some people drop everything and immediately follow Jesus. Uh, we're, um, uh, we're going to see declarations that he is the son of God. We're going to see other people say, you're the son of the devil. We have some of these extremes that we're going to see. And, and as we listen in on these conversations, a question uh, that will be important for, for all of us is how do we respond uh, to what Jesus is saying? Because he's not just talking to these people that we're listening in on. And so before we begin, I think it'd probably be good for us to pray and ask God to give us ears to hear. So let's do that. Jesus, uh, I'm looking forward to this series. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing how you talk to people and what you say to people. But my prayer, Lord, is that we wouldn't just be observers, uh, but that we truly would listen in and that we would hear you speaking to us. And so we pray that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to receive uh, what you are saying through these various conversations. And we pray that in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Okay, let me invite you to take your Bibles and uh, turn to John chapter 1. That's on page 851 of the Bibles that the ushers handed out. So, um, right after John's famous prologue where he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, uh, John moves to some, uh, some brief but important interactions uh, between Jesus and his, and his first followers. Um, these aren't the conversations that we're going to focus on today, but they are somewhat helpful in setting up the scene. So in verses 19 through 28, John the writer, and that's the other thing we're going to say, there's a bunch of Johns in here, okay? So I'll try to distinguish between the various ones as we come across them. But John the writer introduces us to John the baptizer or John the Baptist. And John the Baptist keeps telling his followers that he's not the main event. The main event, uh, that is the light that has come into the darkness, the, the, the word that has been made flesh, the Lamb of God, as, as he sometimes says, that main event was coming and John the Baptist was, was merely preparing the way for his arrival. And then uh, all of a sudden Jesus appears, right? And John the Baptist says, look, it's the Lamb of God. And we read in verse 37 that two of John the Baptist's disciples left him. As soon as he said that, they left him and started following Jesus. Uh, Verse 40 tells us that Andrew was one of the two disciples that uh, that, uh, left John the Baptist to follow Jesus. Verse 41 tells us that one of the first things that Andrew did was to go find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah. We found him. And so he he brings Simon to Jesus, and Jesus immediately renames him. Uh, Whatever whatever else uh, transpired between those two in that brief conversation, it was enough for both Andrew and Peter to continue following Jesus. Now, Andrew and Peter were originally from a town called Bethsaida. Uh, It's on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. Bethsaida means fish house uh, or or fish town or fishing town. Uh, We know from other places that Peter and Andrew are fishermen by trade. And and so Bethsaida is, is kind of a natural place for them to call home. In verse 43, we're introduced to another man from Bethsaida. His name is Philip. Okay, Now, these initial exchanges are are really short. They're kind of choppy. We don't know if this was all that was said between these people or if if John is just moving quickly to get to the longer conversation that's coming next. But even in these brief exchanges, you can sort of feel the, the momentum building. Uh, Things are moving. Things are happening. Jesus says to Andrew, follow me. And immediately he does. Jesus' first recorded words to Simon are, I'm going to call you Peter, which means the rock. 
Um, and, and then Jesus uh, has this very short conversation with Philip. John simply tells us that Jesus found Philip and said, follow me. And, and like these others, Philip did. Uh, there, there's no resistance. There's no discussion about why this rabbi might be uh, the Messiah, what, what his qualifications are. These guys just follow him. There, there's something in these words that, that just makes them right away follow them. The other thing that we see in these opening stories here is, uh, is that these people who first follow Jesus bring others to meet him. Did you notice that? John the Baptist says, there he is, the Messiah, Lamb of God. And so Andrew goes, right? Goes to follow, and he goes and gets his brother Simon and says, we found the Messiah. You got to come meet him. Come and see. And now we see Philip doing the same thing. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Uh, Philip doesn't use the word Messiah here, but it's, um, it's clear uh, to us that that's, that's who he's talking about, right? Moses and the other prophets talked a lot about a Messiah who would one day come and set up a peaceful kingdom where, where everything would finally be as it was supposed to be. We spent a good deal of time in Advent uh, looking at that. The Old Testament was, was commonly referred to by Jewish people uh, in this day as the Law and the Prophets. It was just sort of a way of summing up. We're talking about what we call the Old Testament. Keep in mind, there wasn't a New Testament at, the, at, at this time, so it'd be kind of silly to call it the Old Testament when there wasn't a new one. So they, just, they called it the Law and the Prophets, which is the term that Philip uses here. And it seems that both he and Nathaniel were familiar with those uh, Old Testament prophecies and, and that they've uh, actually been anticipating, they've been waiting, they've been looking for the Messiah to come. It's interesting, I think, that Philip chose to describe the Messiah as Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Um, Jesus did grow up in Nazareth and probably everyone in the town assumed that Joseph was his father. We know better than that, don't we? Uh, We're not sure if Philip did or not or if he was just using what everyone else said about Jesus. Uh, What's interesting is that none of the prophecies in the Old Testament, mentioned Nazareth. He mentioned Bethlehem, which we also know is where Jesus was born. But there's no mention of Nazareth. And some Bible scholars think that, that this detail uh, may be what first caused Nathaniel to disbelieve his friend Philip. Um, that's, not, that's not what the scriptures say, Right? Uh, others say that it's because Nathaniel was from Cana, which had sort of this disparaging rivalry with the town of Nazareth just nine miles south. Um, 
one commentator from Portland likened it to the Seven Mile War between St. Helens and Scappoose. I don't know if that's just a sports thing or if there actually is, you know. Uh, but whatever the reason, you, you, can, you can hear the cynicism, cynicism in Nathaniel's response in verse 46. Nathaniel replied, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was a a really tiny town of about 300 people. It was so obscure that it wasn't even listed uh, in the census records uh, that that record 63 other tiny towns in the area. Nazareth was was below the the cutoff number, I guess. Um, Just for a moment here, think of the most obscure insignificant town. I'm not going to name any because sometimes when you do that, someone goes, yeah, I'm from there, right? So we'll just, we'll just keep this in your mind. What is the most insignificant town you can think of? And, and now imagine that you've heard that the Savior of the world is from there. Can anything good come out of whatever your insignificant town is? And Philip's response is is like the response of of so many who have encountered Jesus. He doesn't try to argue with Nathaniel. He he doesn't pull out of four laws or Romans road or steps to peace with God. He simply says, come and see. Come see for yourself. And Nathaniel agrees. And so they go to find Jesus. Now, all of this has been leading to the conversation that we're focusing on this morning, the conversation between Jesus and Nathaniel. It's taken us a little bit to get there, but, but here we are, okay? So, verse 47, Philip and Nathaniel find Jesus, and as they approach him, Jesus begins the conversation, Right? And I imagine him with this huge smile and, and, and outstretched arms saying, Ah, truly, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Right? John's writing here has this really cool play on words. I think it's cool. Um, I'll I'll geek out on this just a little bit. Maybe you'll find it interesting. Uh, To understand it, we have to remember a little bit of Israel's history or even have been paying attention to Lucas's uh, reading this morning. So Abraham is the one that God originally made uh, the the promise to of of becoming a, a great nation, right? Abraham's son was... I heard whispers. Some of you are like, I don't know. Isaac, right? Okay. Isaac's son is Jacob. There you go. All right. Um, Jacob's name means deceiver. That's what it means. And it's a fitting name. Uh, He was a deceiver. He was a cheater. 
He, he cheated his brother out of his birthright, right? Uh, in Genesis 32, God gives Jacob a new name. He calls him Israel. Israel is a name that means uh, this, this one wrestles with God. Okay? So, so God changes Jacob's name. Jesus' greeting to Nathanael could literally be written this way. Here is an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. That's kind of cool, I think. Or here is one who wrestles with God, but does so honestly, with integrity, with no guile. Jesus isn't saying that Nathaniel is, is sinless or perfect. He's not even saying that he's, he's never lied. Um, but Jesus sees in Nathaniel someone who is sincerely wrestling with the things of God. But as he does it, he, he holds on to God's promises. Right? So even, even where there's doubt, even where there's, I don't know how this works, he continues to, to have faith in God and his promises. So Jesus says, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And, and Nathaniel, it's interesting, he doesn't make a play of, of humility. He doesn't deny Jesus' assessment. He's like, oh, no, no, not me. No, no, really. But you know, something in Jesus' words has, has shifted Nathaniel. Shifted him from, from cynical curious. The, the skepticism, I think, is, is still there, but the edge is, is gone from it. Um, it's not, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Instead, Nathaniel asks him, how do you know me? And Jesus says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Well, now Nathaniel is unnerved, right? Not, not maybe like, like being watched by a creepy stalker or, or, or talking with a psychic, you know, who's clairvoyant or something. It seems that Nathaniel understands that, that these, these kind but, but piercing eyes are looking into his very soul. Who is this guy? There are only two people in the whole world who know exactly what was going on under that fig tree. Nathaniel thought there was only one, but as it turns out, there's two, because Jesus knows. Bible scholars speculate about the significance of the fig tree. In some Bible passages, the fig tree is a a symbol of peace, shalom. Uh, in other passages, it, it seems to be a symbol for home, uh, being, being settled, right? Uh, by the first century, uh, a fig tree had become a symbol of prayer, and so many devout Jews uh, often prayed under a fig tree. These are the kinds of things theologians and Bible scholars ponder. Why a fig tree? Could be one of those. Or it could just be a fig tree. 
He, he may have just been sitting under a fig tree. Um, commentator Kent Hughes says this, exactly what it represents is not terribly important. What is important is that Nathaniel had some kind of spiritual experience under that fig tree that no one but Jesus knew about. Maybe he had been reading the story from Genesis 28 of Jacob's ladder. Maybe he had been contemplating being baptized by John the Baptist himself. Maybe he was thinking about the Messiah. Maybe he had even prayed that Messiah would one day reveal himself to him, Nathaniel. The, the point is, Nathaniel had had a spiritual experience under a fig tree, and Jesus was now saying, I know about the experience you had that you shared only with God. Jesus knew. I, I was thinking of it in this way. Nathaniel asked Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus' response, in a sense, is, oh, how I know you. Without saying it in, in those words, Jesus was saying, I know your heart. I know your desires. I, I know your comings and your goings. I, I know when you sit and when you rise. I even hear your prayers under a fig tree. It's fascinating because in those few seconds, this is not a long conversation. I'm making it much longer than actually happened. But in those few seconds, Nathaniel moves from cynical skeptic to a full-fledged believer in Jesus. Verse 49, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. This is amazing. Uh, Philip introduces Jesus as the son of Joseph. And here Nathaniel recognizes in this instant that he is really the son of God. He's putting all the puzzle pieces together. Philip says that Jesus is from this backwater town called Nazareth. And Nathaniel declares, no, you are king of Israel. One day he would come to see that he was the king of the whole universe. Philip invited Nathaniel to come and see. And boy, did God open his eyes. It's fascinating. But that's how it often happens, in an instant like that, right? Jesus seems almost humored at at Nathaniel's response. I, I don't think he's making fun of him. But he seems, I mean, I hear almost a a tone of of chuckling as he responds to Nathanael's declaration of faith. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. In verse 50, Jesus basically says, Nate, you ain't seen nothing yet. Baby, you just ain't seen nothing yet, right? I'm going to show you things that are going to 
blow your mind. What are the greater things than these that Jesus says Nathaniel will see? Well, at, at one level, it, it would be the whole of Jesus' ministry. Why do I say that? Um, Nathaniel's name doesn't show up in any of the other Gospels. But in John's Gospel, Nathaniel always appears alongside Philip. Um, they're very close friends or maybe related. We're not sure. Okay? He always shows up alongside Philip. In the other three Gospels, there is a person who always shows up alongside Philip. His name is Bartholomew, which isn't a first name. It's a, it's a surname. Uh, it means Bar, son of Ptolemy. So son of Ptolemy. And this leads, I, I think I can say most Bible scholars to believe that Nathaniel is the same person as Bartholomew in the other Gospels. So what do we know about this Nathaniel Bartholomew? Nathaniel, son of Ptolemy. Um, well, he's one of the 12 apostles. He traveled with Jesus for, for over three years of his ministry. He saw all the miracles, the healings, the, the feedings of four and 5,000 people. He was with the group of disciples that Jesus appeared to after uh, the resurrection along the, the Sea of Tiberias. Um, he is one of the witnesses to Jesus' ascension. Um, tradition says uh, that he took the gospel to India, Persia, and Ethiopia. Wow. Uh, these things that, that I've just mentioned are certainly greater than Jesus seeing him under a fig tree. But there's something even greater. In verse 51, Jesus says, You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending, not on a ladder, on the Son of Man. What is Jesus talking about? Nathaniel's a devout Jew, and, and Jesus expected Nathaniel to make the connection. I chose the, the reading this morning that, that Lucas did in hopes that we would make a connection when we come to these words. Uh, the connection is made with Genesis 28. Uh, just remind you here of the highlights. Jacob was traveling from Beersheba to Haran, and he stopped for the night to sleep on the ground with a rock as his pillow. And as he slept, he dreamt of this stairway or, or ladder that reached from earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. Sound familiar? When he wakes up, the dream is, is so overpowering that Jacob is, is awestruck. And he says, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. He was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the gateway to heaven. And so he renamed the place Bethel. Beth means house, El, God, house of God. Now, back to our passage here with Nathaniel, verse 51. Jesus continued, I tell you the solemn 
truth. Yeah, in, the, in the old King James, this would be the verily, verily. Okay? Amen, amen. This is important. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In Genesis 28, Jacob, the deceiver, saw the angels ascending and descending on a ladder or or stairway. Here in Jesus' reframing of the story with Nathaniel, he, Jesus, is the ladder. Jesus is the gateway to heaven. Remember earlier in John's prologue, he says that the word has made his dwelling, his home, among us. Jesus is telling Nathaniel that, that the heavens have opened and God has come to make his home among us. Bethel, the house of God, is here. And here's something else cool for us this morning. The you in verse 51 is plural, both times. It's you all or y'all, okay? And and it's not just those who were standing there hearing Jesus' words at the time. We're we're all invited into this reality. Jesus is, is announcing an event that the prophets looked ahead to. They looked forward to. They longed to see it come true. But the way that Jesus speaks to Nathaniel about the heavens being opened isn't isn't past or future. The the tense implies a a present event with the effects that go out into the future. In other words, the heavens have opened and they will remain open. This is good news. This means that whatever our ideas about who Jesus is and, and how Jesus is, are probably too small. I think Jesus blew Nathaniel's mind that day. And I think he wants to blow our minds too. But, but we're going to have to honestly, earnestly, without any deceit or guile, look for him. Open our eyes to see him. And when he shows himself, which... He promises he he will. Uh, Jeremiah says, uh, speaking for the Lord, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, we got to do that. When he does show himself, we got to drop everything and follow him like these guys did. So uh, in closing, I want to... I just want to kind of highlight three kinds of people I I see in this story. The first are the skeptics. Um, I'm sure we've got skeptics in the room this morning. Skeptics, you know, usually aren't hostile to God. Um, they, They may even have prayed some kind of prayer as sort of a fire insurance, just just in case what Jesus says is is true. They're not sure they're willing to drop everything to follow him. And so this morning, if that's you, all I would ask 
of you this morning is, is to do what Nathaniel did. Be honest in your examination of Jesus. I mean, everything, everything depends on whether or not what he says is true or not. He is what he, who he says he is. He does what he says he does. Or he doesn't. There's no in-between. It, it is or it isn't. Uh, as Philip said to Nathaniel, just come and see. Come and see for yourself. And I believe, to, again, to any who are skeptics, that if you'll honestly look at Jesus, look at how he's changed the lives of people you know, how, how he alone actually offers solutions to the deepest longings. The longings that if you were under that fig tree, you would be praying about. If you had any faith in, in a God that might hear, God, this is, this is what I need you to do. Those, those deep longings that maybe no one else knows about, Jesus can fill those. Another kind of person we see in this story are the bringers. There's a lot of them in this story. Uh, people who say, come and see. Some of you are natural bringers. I love it. Uh, there, there are a few of you that this, this is who I think of. You're who I think of when I think of come and see. Because you do it all the time. Uh, I see Andrew in you. I, I see Philip in you. I see the woman at the well who said, come, come and see this man who knows everything about me. And the whole town got saved. But more of us need to be bringers. Some of you are afraid to be bringers. Maybe, maybe what you're really afraid of is, is having to explain it all. It's interesting. I think. Andrew didn't have to explain it all. Philip didn't have to explain it all. And he said, come and see. I think he's the Messiah. You, you come and see. Decide for yourself. You don't have to explain it all. You just have to show him Jesus. He's the one with all the answers, Right? You can tell him how he's changed you. You you can bring him here and and let him meet others whose lives have been changed by Jesus. We need more bringers. In this new year, that's one challenge I'd like to to give all of us. Grow in that that area of of being a bringer. The, The third kind of a person that I see in this story is the person that Nathaniel became. Um... He wasn't this at the beginning of the story, but he became an open heaven kind of a believer. Uh, Jesus invited him, and I believe because of the language here in in John 1, he invites all of us to live under an open heaven, to experience more of God with us than we have ever dared imagine. He invites us this morning in this new year to see what happens when when heaven breaks in to the here and now. 
I think Jesus is looking for people. I hope this doesn't upset anyone. I think Jesus is looking for people who want more than going to heaven when they die. I mean, that's great. I don't think Jesus wants you to settle for that. As we we move through this series, we're going to see some who were content to just believe in God, uh, believe in going to heaven after they die. But we're going to see a whole bunch more who wanted more, wanted to experience this abundant life under an open heaven. What about you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, these examples in this story. John the Baptist, who, uh, of course, supernaturally understood there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Thank you for Andrew, who immediately dropped everything and goes and finds his brother Simon. For Philip, who who does the same and, and goes to tell Nathaniel. Thank you for Nathaniel and, and his example here of someone who earnestly and honestly was looking for you. May that be an example for us. May we earnestly and honestly, even, even in the wrestling, may we remain uh, without deceit as we seek you, as we look for you. And where we need help seeing, open our eyes. Show us Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.